Amen. That, that song is so true because the love of Jesus Christ surpasses any and all loves you'll ever experience in life. I'm glad you're here today. How many of you know what happens, what starts, what happens this week? What's going on this week? What? And all of you young ones are really excited, aren't you? Yeah, you are. Hey, if you're a teacher, would you stand? I want all the teachers in the room to go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand up. <laughs> Remain, re, stay up. Remain standing. If you work in the school in any way, you're a staff member, administration, you, you are employed in our school system, would you go ahead and stand up? Join these teachers and stand with them, please. Go ahead and stand up. Go ahead. Now, I want all the students to join these who are standing. If you're a student, go ahead and stand up. Yeah. Let's, let's pray. Remain standing. We want to pray for you. Father, we are so thankful that you care about people and that those of us who are your children, you, you place us in positions of influence where we we have an opportunity to impact people's lives in a very positive way and so father as a family of faith we join our hearts in praying for these who are standing we pray for these teachers and and staff members and so on that you will fill them with your spirit and and give them everything they need to do a great job this year encourage them strengthen them give them wisdom patience insight let them feel your presence and use them father use them in a beautiful way to to help uh, co-workers, to help students, to help their the student families. Use them to make a difference in this world for the kingdom's sake. Thank you for them and their willingness to, to serve in a, in a role that, that, that does influence people. Father, for these students, we pray that you will give them a great year and that you'll put a hedge of protection around them because we, we know that Satan wants to bring influences into their life that will get them off track, maybe even influence them to make decisions that would ruin their lives. And we pray that you'll protect them and that you'll guide them and that you'll help them to live for Christ and, 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 and show love and, and grace to their classmates. Father, let this year that's coming up be a really good one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. And you can be seated. Well, as you know, for the past few weeks, we've been partnering with a handful of other churches to collect supplies that we were then going to put into a bag and give to all the teachers in our district. And, and uh, we did that um, this past uh, Friday over at Northwestern when they had their annual celebration to kick off the new school year, uh, 2,200, 2,300 people in the gym. And when they walked in, these black bags that we had prepared uh, with the supplies inside them uh, were on every seat, so everyone who was there, all the teachers, the staff, and so on, they got a, they 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 got one of those. And by the way, we just took up an offering. In addition to the donation of supplies, your offering helped because you know the bags had to be purchased and some of the supplies had to be purchased. So your giving helps us do all that we do to minister to this community and to the people in it. So thank you for that. But uh, on the front of that bag was the word influence and its definition. And uh, those supplies inside, as well as information about the the churches that, that were doing that. So we had, a, we had a good time with that. But many of you helped make it possible. 
You donated supplies. You showed up at different times this week to help us pack the bags, remove them from the trailer, tractor trailer into the school, put them out. You helped in some way. If you helped us with that in any way, would you go ahead and stand up right now? I want to. If you brought something, donated something, you helped volunteer, stand up. If you donated anything, you volunteered, stand up. Yeah, thank you, thank you, because we couldn't have done it without you. And, and I hope others of you will join us the next time we do something like this. Now, some people have asked, why did we do this? Well, um, the truth is, God has a lot of his children working in our school system. There's a lot of believers who teach and work in our schools. And they do it as a, as, as a sense of calling from God. And it's a challenging job, and sometimes they just need a pat on the back. They need some encouragement. They need to know that there's, a, there's appreciation, that people know that what they're doing matters. We did it because, hey, they have tremendous influence. They have tremendous influence, and we want them to know that there's a God who loves them and that God's people love them, that God's church is praying for them and cares so that they'll have a godly influence out there. And, and that's, that's really why we, why we did this. And I think it goes along with the biblical truth that God cares about people. And today as we wrap up this short series of sermons titled Our Hope, we're we're going to focus on the fact that this hope, this hope is not just for us. I mean, the last two Sundays we've, we've looked at the hope you and I have as believers, how different our life is since Jesus became part of our life. And last Sunday in particular, the hope we have because of Christ as we face death and then look beyond death, look into the next life, that, that we have this incredible hope from our, our Lord. But it is so true, listen, listen, that the Bible makes it crystal clear, this hope you and I enjoy as believers, this, this hope that blesses us is not just for us. It's for everyone. And I want us to—I want to remind us of that important biblical truth this morning. You know, in recent years, Tim Tebow has been in the news a lot, and this season he's with the New England Patriots. A few days ago, in their first preseason game, he didn't do as well as he would have liked. But after the game, they were in the locker room, and one of the television camera operators was having some problems and in frustration just blurted out, Jesus Christ. You know how people will do that? Tebow was sitting in earshot. And when this camera guy said that, Tebow looked at him and smiled and said, He loves you. And God does love people. God loves everyone in this community. I want you to know something. The people who are not in church today, God loves. The people who make fun of you at school or give you a hard time at work because you are a believer, God loves. The neighbors who slept in this morning because they don't know any better, they don't understand the need for Jesus, God loves them. God loves the world, Scripture tells us. And even the, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, would be the hope of the Gentiles, that God really does love everyone and want a relationship with them. So as we wrap up this series, I want to talk about that today, and I invite you to open your Bible with me. 
to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. The, the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. Now the setting for Peter's book in the New Testament is he's writing to a group of Christians who probably haven't been believers very long and they live in a part of the world that was not always supportive of their Christian faith. In fact, they at times encountered hostility and even persecution. But at a minimum, the culture was not cheering them on and saying what you're doing is a a good thing. Sounds a lot like the culture you and I live in today. And I know some Christians are so worried about all that's going on in our culture, and I get that because a lot of it breaks my heart as well. But some believers are so worried about all of that stuff, and and, and they're, they're so fixated on all of that stuff that they have forgotten that all the sinners in this culture that are really just acting like sinners, because that's what they are, that this culture which is dominated and ruled, the Bible says, by the prince of the power there is simply acting like Satan's kingdom acts, we forget that Jesus actually loves those people and that Jesus actually died for those people. And in the New Testament, he gave some instructions for how you and I are to live in this world, how we are to relate to the people in this culture who do not know him, how we are to do that in order to be effective in our sharing the love of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And today, I want to remind us of what Scripture says about the way we are to relate to the people in this world. Even if it's in a culture that's not always supportive of the Christian faith, that at times is even hostile to the Christian faith. Because I want to say to us, brothers and sisters, God is not calling you and me to retreat into a monastery and hide from the world. Jesus is calling us to get out there in it, serve them, love them, win them. And he tells us how to do it. So that's what we're going to focus on today. 1 Peter chapter 3. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we look at this one verse real quickly. Verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He tells us to sanctify. Now look at this. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Some Bibles will translate it, honor him as Lord or as God or as Messiah, as holy in your hearts. Always being ready or prepared, able to make a defense or give an answer to everyone who asks you to give an account or a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness. With gentleness. I believe the King James translates that meekness. And with reverence, or your Bible may say with respect, with fear. Father, your word never returns void. I ask that your Holy Spirit speak to the hearts of your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quickly, I want to point out a few things from this verse. And the first is that you and I as believers are to allow Jesus Christ to have the place 
of lordship, the place of ruling, the place of control in our hearts instead of giving that place to fear. Too many of us who are believers live by fear, not faith. And when we look at all that's happening in our culture and its lack of support for Christian values, sometimes we react with fear or we react with anger. And the beginning for you and me knowing how to live as believers in this culture. And the thing I want you to get is the culture today is more like the culture of the first century that believers lived in. Our culture today, while changing and scary, is more like the culture that most people who have loved Jesus throughout history have actually lived in. And they did it. So can we. But we've got to learn how to do it God's way. And and he says the starting point is to sanctify Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one, as Lord in your hearts. As Lord, curios. And he's in this chapter quoting Isaiah, a passage where the Messiah was associated with Lord or with Yahweh, holy God. And to understand this verse, what he's in essence saying is you have to give in your heart The place that allows God, Jesus, the Lord, to be God in your life, to be the master in your heart, to be the Lord in your heart, and stop letting fear be your master. Stop allowing fear and anger and other emotions to control you. You've got to allow Jesus to be the God of your heart. Sanctify Him. That word means to declare holy, to set apart, to dedicate. People at times would say that they want to dedicate a building as a church, dedicate it to God, to worship. God's saying that's what you're to do with your heart. And when God has your heart, He has your life. Dedicate it. Set it apart. Make it holy. That place where He rules, where where He's the master. And, And you're never going to overcome your fear. And all the other emotions that get you off track until you give Jesus that place in your heart where He's God, where He's Lord, where He's Master. The second thing is this. Don't keep the hope you have in Jesus to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself. Notice he he says in that verse, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready prepared to make a defense, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give an account, a reason for the hope that is in you. Don't keep it to yourself. Be prepared to share it with others. The, the phrase that's translated, give an account or reason, comes from the Greek word for logos, which comes from the word lego, which is to speak, to say. Sometimes I've, I've heard Christians, and I, I've been a pastor since I was 19, I'm 55, and I've heard people say it a lot of times. You know, my, my life is my witness. My lifestyle is my witness. And, and I understand that. If you don't live a righteous life, anything you say is empty and useless. Ineffective. If you don't really live for Christ. Your words they may hurt more than they help if you don't live for Christ. But here's the catch. Now follow this. If all you're doing is living a righteous life, Lost people don't know why you live the way you live. 
They don't know that it's Jesus who makes you what you are. They don't know that it's Jesus who changed you and therefore can change them. They may just think you're a good person. And God received absolutely no glory from them for all He's done in your life. What He says here is speak. Talk. Use words. Because they cannot know that Jesus is the hope that fills you and your heart unless you tell them He's the hope that fills your life and heart. Don't keep it to yourself. Talk about Jesus. That's why dealing with fear and other emotions is so critical. If fear rules us, if fear is our master, we are intimidated into what? Silence. We may be a good person, live a good life, but we never speak a word about Jesus. We never speak a word about the gospel. We never speak a word about the hope available to them, the love that God has for them. Al Marchard was a, Marchin was a, a policeman. On his day off, he was a, a bartender to make extra money. Wasn't a believer, had no place for God in his life. And At one point, while he was working in that bar, the morning crew that came in to clean, while he was still there before he left, when they would come in, they would play these tapes of sermons, many of them by Pastor Greg Laurie out in California, and, and at first this irritated him because he, he had no place for God. He didn't want to hear that stuff, but you know he had to listen to it because they played it. And in time, as he heard the messages, he became intrigued by the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus. Eventually, he and his wife both became believers. Changed dramatically. He started witnessing for Christ, witnessing to his old friends. Promotions in his career at the police department tended to mean more office work for him and less interaction with people. And he wanted to interact with people because he wanted to talk to them about Christ. Couldn't do that sitting at a desk all day. One day he was buying an airline ticket over the Internet, and the idea hit him to become a, a flight attendant. So after 20 years on the police force, he retired and started a, a second career. He told his wife that he felt this was God's calling on his life. He said to her once, what, what if there's a time when a, when a flight is uh, going down? And what if I'm the only, the only person who can share the gospel? Four years later, Al Marchin died on 9-11. He was a flight attendant on one of the planes that crashed into the World Trade Center. After he died, a woman came forward to tell about an experience she'd had with him about a month earlier. She had been on another flight with him when he was flying standby, and and, uh, she was very nervous and scared, first time to fly, and so he sat beside her and talked to her. And on national television, she recalled that he had said to her, He had become a flight attendant, so if a plane ever went down, he could have 30 seconds, 40 seconds, whatever it was, to speak the gospel to the people so they could receive Christ. See, on 9-11, 
God had a witness on one of those planes. Did you hear what I said? On 9-11, God had on one of those planes somebody who was not afraid to Lego to speak, to say the name Christ to those who were lost. Tomorrow, let me ask you a question. Tomorrow, wherever you will be, is God going to have a witness on that plot of ground where you find yourself tomorrow? Now, he's not going to have a witness just because you're there. He'll have a witness tomorrow in that place if you are intentional about what you do while you're there. Wherever you end up on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, is God going to have a witness there? Next week, next month, next year, is God going to have a witness in the place where you are because you're there? This November, churches all across this country are participating in the Billy Graham focus called My Hope, in which believers are inviting people they know into their home whatever time they want to during that particular week. People, people they know who are not believers or don't go to church, friends, relatives, co-workers, neighbors, so on. And show a DVD, 30-minute DVD that the Graham ministry is preparing that explains the gospel. And at the end of that presentation, give those who are there an opportunity to to receive Christ as Lord and, and Savior. Some of you have already committed to be part of that. Others of you are going to commit to be part of that to come up with a list of names and begin praying for them. Can you imagine what would happen if half the people sitting out here right now said, I'm going to be one of those people? Is your home going to be a place of witness to the gospel this November? Here's the third thing. He tells us in this passage that we are to be able to give a reasoned, intelligent explanation of the faith, of the gospel. He says, be ready, be prepared to make a defense, to to give an answer. The Greek word there is a, a legal term that refers to an attorney in court logically explaining his client's case. That you and I as followers of Jesus Christ are to be able to present a clear, reasoned presentation of the gospel, which is our client, if you will, to those in this world who do not have Christ in their life. Can you do that? Are you open to learning how to do that? See, I think there's some of you in this room, you, you... You want to do my hope. You're interested in it, but you're afraid. You don't think you can do it. You don't think you know how to do it. You're afraid you won't be effective at doing it. You're afraid you'll say the wrong thing. And often we're we're so afraid of saying the wrong thing, we're intimidated into absolute silence and never say anything for Jesus. I get all that. 
But we're going to make training available to you. That's the reason I'm asking you to come on Sunday evening, September 8 at 5 o'clock here to the church. We're going to have a training session, teach you how to do this. You can do this. We're going to help you know how to do this. And I want you to email us at the address on there and let us know you want to do this. Give us your name and information. Say, I want to be part of my hope, and we'll communicate with you. We want, so go ahead and jot the date and time down now. Don't trust your memory. Your, your memory is probably you know, no better than mine. You'll forget it over lunch. So jot it down. September 8, 5 o'clock here at the church. Email us. Let us know you want to be part of it. Real quickly, here's the fourth thing. God tells us to share the hope that we have in Jesus with everyone whether they're friendly to the Christian faith or at times hostile to it. Don't limit who God loves. Don't limit who you'll share with. Don't limit who you'll pray for. Don't limit who you will care about. Notice he says, share this. Give this account to everyone. Don't put those restrictions. Don't put those limitations on it. And we're asking you to make a list of at least ten names or ten families that you're praying for. Ten people that you're going to invite to your home. Ten people that you're going to minister to, that you're going to serve, that you're going to love on in different ways between now and then. And then even afterward. Ten people you care about. And like I said, they can be your relatives, neighbors, classmates, co-workers. It doesn't matter. They're the ones that God puts on your heart. One of our Southern Baptist missionaries was training some new Christians in China, now we don't have missionaries, quote, who live in China, but we do have people who are serving the Lord on our behalf that go in and out of that country that are there and do ministry in Jesus' name. And for security reasons, we don't tell you who they are or anything, but they were training some new Chinese believers in evangelism and church planning. And during the training, they asked all of these new Christians to make a list of 100 people they thought needed to be reached for Christ. 100 people in their life who needed a relationship with Jesus. And after they had made the list, the missionary was speaking to one of the ladies, one of these new Chinese Christians, and, and, and he asked her, how many people on your list do you think you can lead to Christ. And she had this puzzled look on her face. And after a moment's hesitation, she answered, all of them. Isn't that the reason we made the list? See, you and I have gotten to the place that we don't think people will believe anymore. We've allowed ourselves to be so intimidated by what's going on in this culture that, that we just don't think people will get saved. So what's the point? What's the point in praying? What's the point of inviting? What's the point of sharing? What's the point of serving? And so we, we do very little. Because again, we're living by fear, not faith. And we've forgotten that God is God today as much as He was 50 years ago. He's God today as much as He was 500 years ago. He's God today as much as He was 5,000 years ago. We're the ones who are scared to death, not Him. God's still at work in this world. God is still at work in people's lives. We're the ones who've given up, not him.
Don't, don't hold it back. Share it. Let me wrap this up. A couple more things. When you're talking with people about a relationship with Jesus, treat them the right way. He says here to treat them how? With gentleness. Or your Bible may translate it meekness. We really don't have a word in the English language that adequately translates that Greek word. It's a word that was used for a wild horse that had been broken, that had been tamed. Now think about that a minute. Because when a wild horse has been broken, when it's been tamed, that horse is still as strong as it ever was. But now it's under control and can be used constructively. You and I are strong as believers because the Scripture says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We're strong because we know eternal truth. God's given it to us in His Word. And yet God says to us, being strong and knowing what you know as you interact with people in this world, sharing the reason for your hope, sharing the glorious gospel of Christ with them, interact with them the right way. With gentleness. Strength under control with gentleness and then he says with respect which points to the attitude we're supposed to have toward God while we're doing all of this that we are to have a reverence before God that that keeps us humble instead of being arrogant and belligerent the word translated reverence or fear or respect in your in, in that verse is the word phobia. It means fear. And usually in the Scripture used for a fear of God, reverence for God in the New Testament. That, that you and I are not to become so, you know, overblown in our own mind about who we are and our standing with God that we start acting toward people in this culture with arrogance and belligerence. Is a humility that comes from submissiveness to God. See, one of the challenges we face as believers today in this, you know, what we often refer to as the culture wars, is we're brokenhearted by what's happening to our country, and many of the changes taking place scare us, correct? I'm with you. I, I understand that. I don't like everything going on in our culture. But if we're not careful... We can allow all of that to make us so angry all the time that we cease being effective as an instrument of God to show the people in this culture who are simply acting like lost people act that God loves them and that we love them. And our words about love often ring hollow because all they see is our anger and belligerence. There are some of us who are more passionate about politics than evangelism. Spend more time learning about politics than Scripture. We need to remember what the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty: 20, be not high-minded, but fear. 
1 Corinthians 10, 12, Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. You see, it's hard for us to invest in relationships with people who are lost if we're mad at them all the time. I'm not saying that we agree with sin. But did you notice in the Gospels the people Jesus was angriest with were what we would today call church people? That Jesus in the Gospels showed the most most anger toward the most religious in his day and time. And that he showed compassion while sharing the truth. Jesus never compromised the truth. But in sharing the truth, Jesus showed compassion to those who were sinners. How do you and I live in this culture that's changing? What, What do we do to be the kind of people that God can use to make a difference? We give Christ that place in our heart of lordship. And we prepare ourselves to share. And we do it with gentleness and a reverence before God that holds back the strength within us, so to speak, keeps it under control. Don't let your emotions rule you. Let the Holy Spirit rule you. Close with this. About 13 years ago, one of our Southern Baptist missionaries who was serving in South Asia, we don't always tell you the the nation for security reasons, so living in that part of the world, met a, a chief, a village chief, developed a relationship, shared the gospel, and and after doing so, this village chief told the missionary he wished he'd heard about Jesus sooner because if he had, he wouldn't have done what he did. What he had done was this. This village chief had gone to a sorcerer and asked this sorcerer, this is a true story, asked him what he had to do to ensure favor and prosperity for his family. And this sorcerer, this witch doctor, whatever you want to call him, told him that he needed to sacrifice three young children to the gods. And if he did that, he'd be blessed with prosperity. This village chief, and we're talking about 1999, 2000, this village chief kidnapped two five-year-old boys from a neighboring village and sacrificed them to the gods. Later attempts to kidnap the third child were rebuffed. And he ended up sacrificing his own seven-year-old son to the gods. The village chief told our missionary, if you had told me about this Jesus earlier, that I never would have killed those innocent children. Why did you come so late? Why did you come so late? Now, you and I, in in our American culture, we don't deal with people who are sacrificing the lives of their children. But we do have relationships with people who are sacrificing their life for lesser things. We, we, We have relationships with people who are sacrificing their marriages and their family for empty things. We encounter people all the time who are sacrificing their destiny, sacrificing their eternity for things that don't last. 
And too often we're intimidated by fear into absolute silence. So that they don't know the hope that is available to them. They don't know about the love of Christ that is for them, not just us. They don't know about the life change that can come to them and to their home through relationship with Christ. Because we've bought into the lie, we've bought into the fear, and we're quiet. We, we've given up, and we don't believe God can do it anymore. Or we're, let me be so bold as to say we're more worried about who's elected to what office than we are whether or not someone's saved and going to heaven. And it's time as believers we get our priorities right. And become instruments of God who believe that God is still God. Whatever's going on in the culture. Because in the first century when the Romans were persecuting Christians in the Colosseum... He was God and the church was growing and people were being saved. Can you read the scripture and see that it wasn't always easy on God's people? And yet God says to his people in the midst of whatever culture you live, be my witness and do it with gentleness and love. But be my witness. Would you be a witness in your world, in your sphere of influence? And will you do it the right way? Let's stand. This altar is a place you can pray. You can join this church. You can pray for the people you're going to invite to your home this November. You can even pray about the fear that's making you hesitant to come to the training. Ask God to help you overcome that fear and come to the training. You may want to talk to one of these pastors. Let's sing together. You make your decision for Christ right now. Just start walking. Come on.